FC3 Communications presents a spoken word given to our congregation located at 1800 Hall Brown Road, where our senior pastor is Dr. Karen B. Johnson and assistant pastor Glenton Queen. You are welcome to join us as our services are held every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Enjoy the word. Give God praise for give God praise for the choir. Thank you, Minister Kevin, for leading us into worship. Y'all kind of messed us up this morning. Uh, you know, talking about when God decided, it got rather personal. When you think about just what your little itchy-bitsy life means. But he saw beyond my fault and just for me, just for me, he decided over 2019 years ago, he saw me and he decided that he would die for me. Isn't that something to be excited about this morning? Amen. So we're going to spend a little time with you this morning. Um, if you have your technical instruments, if you could go with me or Bible or whatever you're using this morning, if you'd go with us to Psalms 118. We're just going to read a few verses here from Psalms 118. It should be up on the screen so you can follow along. And it reads as such. Beginning at verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 24. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, these words. We, we thank you for not only the uh, penmanship of them, but we thank you for what they mean. And we ask that we would uh, speak to them on this day. Uh, use me, God, hide me behind the cross. Uh, it's not James that's speaking, but it's you. Uh, I'm just but a messenger, God. We ask your blessings and favor now in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you take your seat, just give God a praise. It is the first Sunday. We're celebrating him today. So just give him a praise before you take your seat. Not me, but give him a praise. Amen. Amen. As you take your seat, there was a famous comedian and actor who once said, 
if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. That was Milton Berle. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Uh, let's take this one person, for instance. You will likely know as we read their profile. She was born in the 50s in rural Mississippi to a poor teenage mother, abused at the age of nine and a runaway at the age of 13, pregnant at the age of 14 and lost her first child. As in high school, she worked part-time reading news for a local radio station. If at that point that's not enough to set one back, Things began to change just slightly, and she approached the age of college. She matriculated to Tennessee State University while still continuing to work part-time. She graduated with a degree in communications, and she took her first job in the state of Tennessee, a city called Nashville. After a few years in Nashville, she moved to Baltimore. And in Baltimore, she was set up to be a prime-time co-anchor of a local news. Uh, most of us know the television station by WJZ. Uh, but in the setup, uh, the show failed miserably. And what I mean by the setup is that sometimes before you get to where you're going, there are things that are being done to set you up that are marketing, whether it's you or whether it's someone else. On your behalf, there's marketing that sets you up. But this show failed miserably. And all the blame for the failure was on this person. Mind you, she was a co-anchor. But the blame was not shared, but it was on her. Shortly after that, she didn't necessarily take a sideways job, but she took a demotion and moved to a show called People Are Talking. As I said, a major demotion. But after five years of working on this show, she received a call. There was a morning talk show in Chicago who was looking to recruit someone to take over. She moved to Chicago and began this morning talk show. The show blew up, and in two years, she passed the most popular anchor at the time, Phil Donahue, the person is Oprah Winfrey. Few people here or even those we might know have had uh, setbacks like Oprah. But if you could think about it, based on what she went through, few, few people would bet on her to succeed at the early age to, based on the things that she had to endure, not only the setbacks but the failure. So the question this morning is, what do you do when you're faced with a rejection? What do you do when you're faced with a failure? Do you stand still? Do you do nothing? We know the world is filled with people who, when they're faced with adversity, when they're faced with challenges, they stand still because they shudder in their steps, wondering, not should I do it, but can I do it? And there are those others who, when they're faced with rejection, they go into the state of retreat. They recognize that I can't handle all that's coming my way. 
And so they go to this place called their comfort zone, where they're most comfortable, right? Where they're most, most at ease. And so when we talk about the story this morning, the question that we ask is, what will you do once you have been rejected? What will you do when you have been rejected? You see, regardless of who you are, life has a way of coming at you hard sometimes. Uh, the issue is not whether you will have some curveballs thrown at you. It is how you handle them when they come. Uh, I'm a firm believer that it's not how you respond to difficult moments uh, because it's not based on necessarily how you react, but how you respond. You see, a reaction is considered an immediate, uncensored answer, while a response is a carefully calculated and measured answer. Reaction. You curse me. I lay you out. That's a reaction. There's no thinking in that. You come at me, I'm coming back at you. That's a reaction. A response, on the other hand, says, you take my parking space. You even shoot the bird at me. This is 9 o'clock in the morning. But I'll be the one, I will be the one, smiling in your face when you show up in my office at 9.30 for that interview. That's a response. So you see, as the going goes, it's not the one who gets the first laugh that matters. It's not always the one. The Bible, the Bible is filled with those who were rejected. You know uh, some of those, both David and Joseph, were similar in this way. They both were the youngest in their family and both had bona fide calling on their life. But let me, let me just press pause for a moment because, as I said, they were the youngest. And I've said it at times before, I, I come from a large family. There were 13 to be exact. And I can remember the youngest. And, Lord, I can remember them now. But then it was different. Every time my parents would leave, the youngest would always be the ones who were the tattletales. And I don't understand, I don't know why, but they would always be the one to tell the parents, what you did while they were away. It didn't matter how much you bribed them, how much candy. It, it just didn't matter. They always, yeah, mama, she was on the phone the whole time you were away. Yeah, daddy, yeah, he broke the plate, he broke the glass. They would always be the one. That, that was the youngest, right? And so, so, so both David and, 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 and Joseph were the youngest in their family. So so let's just take David's life for, for a moment. He was a shepherd boy who, who rolled with the sheeps. Uh, the early years of David's life was that of an underdog. Uh, he wasn't even the biggest, the best looking, or the strongest. He was even overlooked and looked over. Uh, how many of you have had some attributes of David in your own very life as you were growing up? Being overlooked and looked over. You were always thought to be that nobody, that insignificant, inadequate. All of these were terms used to describe you, ordinary. Never stood out in a crowd and just an ordinary somebody, an underdog. Personally, I love the stories of an underdog. I don't know about you, but there's something about an underdog, Tony, who, 
who just, just because of their story, uh, somebody who when world looks at them, when, when society looks at them, they see nothing. Uh, and you know what? Not only do I love an underdog, but God loves an underdog. Amen? God loves an underdog. And I don't know and would dare not call any of us in here an underdog, but if you know one this morning, whether it be yourself or whether it be someone else, just pause and just give God a praise for the underdog that you know. And if that's yourself, just give him a praise for yourself. Uh, Even Jeremiah, Jeremiah was an underdog, and God told Jeremiah, he said to him, son, before I formed you in in the belly of your mother, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified and ordained you a prophet uh, to the nations. And see, this is the blessing of what God does to those of us uh, that he loves and that he cherishes. And even when we look at ourselves and we might see ourselves and think of ourselves as an underdog. uh, But I'm here to tell you this morning that even you and even I, before we breathe the first breath of life in this world, God knew what our plan and our purpose and our destiny was. Amen? And because he knew our plan and our purpose and our destiny, he was able to peep into our future and see us even on this Sunday morning, not only who we are, but where we would be. Because he is that omniscient, I would simply ask the underdogs in here to just put your hands on your chest if you're one of them and say, he knew me, not after I was born, but before I was born. He knew me. That's a powerful thing when you think of the God that we serve, knowing you before you came into this world. But because he knew us, and this is a familiar passage also, that because he knew us, most of us are able to quote Jeremiah 29 and 11, where he says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, And we kind of stop there. But that's all right. But it's verse 12 that really brings significance. He said, "Then, then when you call on me, because he knew you, we have the ability, the capacity to call on him. What happens when we call him? When you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen. And not only will I listen, but when you seek me and find me, when you seek me with your whole heart, I will be found of you. How many of you are seeking him today? How many of you are seeking after him this morning? Well, Jeremiah tells us if we seek after him, we will be found. As I said, sometimes the rejected are overlooked because people see you you for where you are, and for not what you can become. David, the uneducated, no name, rejected son of Jesse, was predestined and preordained to greatness, uh, to be a king. And when God gets ready uh, to bless you, as he did David, when God gets ready to bless you, there ain't no devil in hell can get in your way. Uh, When God gets ready to lay his hands on you, to pour oil on your head, There's nothing man can do to keep you from receiving what he has for you. 
But you see, David, even David's life was filled with rejection in his rise to kingship. Um, but not only him, Jesus, the Savior, our Savior, uh, suffered rejection in his life. We don't often hear a lot about Jesus in his early years, that is, in the formative years. We generally begin to hear uh, what happens after he became somewhere around the age of 30, but we don't hear a whole lot about what happened when he was the carpenter and he was doing the building and when he was running errands for his mother Mary. We, we don't hear a whole lot about that. Uh, but if we think about our lives, right, we were, we, there were things that we had to do. There were chores that we had to carry out. Um, but at some point in his life, there is around the the age of 30, we begin to see the evidence of just who he was and what he did. You see, one of the things, as I said, he was rejected. But he taught his disciples. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, he taught his disciples that the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days, though, he will rise again. Jesus taught the disciples that he himself would have to suffer. He himself would be rejected. Even in John chapter 1, verse 11, it reads, He came unto his own, that is Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received them not. Coming into his family, even into those God gave him to lead, and they received them not. What an awesome display or analogy of rejection. But the scripture that we read in our hearing this morning really pertains to Jesus as the stone. The analogy characterizes him not only as the person, but as the stone. Verse 18 says, the stone that the builders rejected. It was transformed not only into the stone, but it became the cornerstone. And what does this all mean? You see, in ancient times, or in oriental times, in times of the past, uh, build, building practices were such that it was important, and more important, rather, uh, that you placed a cornerstone uh, than the foundation. So when you were building a structure, you concentrated not only on the foundation, but on the cornerstone. You see, because it was a cornerstone that connected and concentrated the weight of the building. And when that cornerstone was laid, all of the weight of the building and everything that was built was built off the cornerstone. You see, the cornerstone had this kind of power it was a bonding power. It's a power that holds things together. Uh, and in fact, the cornerstone was usually the largest and the most solid stone. It was the one that was most carefully constructed of any in the building, the cornerstone. Uh, this cornerstone is symbolic of Jesus, as David tells us in Psalms 118. He was the stone that the builders rejected. That is, that the, the chief priests and the elders and, and, and those who said, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. 
welcome into the city, but they still rejected him. Even in Ephesians, Paul picks it up and says, we are built, that is you and I, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but it is Jesus Christ himself who is the chief cornerstone. So that stone, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, is the one that we're talking about this morning. But let me remind you a little bit about this rejected stone. Because when we entered in here this morning, we entered in to serve. So who is it that we're serving? Not only the person sitting to your left or to your right. Uh, if we were to set the record straight, uh, this rejected stone is the king of kings. Uh, he's the Lord of lords. He is the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. Uh, some refers to him as a rose of Sharon. Uh, but I recall him being the Alpha and the Omega. That means he was there in the first and there in the last. This is the chief cornerstone. And what's so good about understanding this chief cornerstone is that uh, he asks us when we serve him, he wants to know what our relationship to him really is. So how does he do this? Uh, you recall in Matthew chapter 16, he asked his disciples. He asked them two questions. Who do people say the son of man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Some said, uh, you're John the Baptist. Uh, they refer to you as Elijah. And some said, others are, are referred to you as one of the prophets, Jeremiah. But he went on and said, but what about you? What about you? What about you, Isaiah? What about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And like he always does, it was Peter who grabbed the microphone and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How many of you can say that this morning? When he asked, who do you say that I am? Can you say that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Because if you can say that, if you can say that, that he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, then I would ask the question again, when you're faced with retreat, what will you do? Our topic simply said, I refuse to retreat. Well, why would you refuse to retreat? We can think of many reasons why we would want to throw in a towel when we are faced with adversities. But one of the things I want to remind you of today is that even Jesus, Master, Savior, he himself, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the cup was laid before him, when he was faced with the ultimate decision, he said to his father, he said, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, 
but yours be done. Who do you say the Son of Man is? You see, one of the things that happens when we think about our life and our service, we oftentimes put ourselves in the position of someone else. Remember, I reminded you of the story of the underdog. And you see, it's sometimes those who are cast as an underdog, they don't necessarily see what God has in store for them. I read this past week a quote from Sheryl Sandberg. She was a technology executive at Google and Facebook. She was talking about her rise to leadership. She said, if I map out my career when I was young, I would have missed it. If I mapped out, if I laid out, if I wrote it out, my career, when I was young, I would have missed it. I wanted to understand why. Why would, when you think about what you have been put in this world to do, if you could peep into the future as a young boy, a young girl, and see that, would you continue to pursue it? If you think about those who are in this room now, and you look back over the challenges that you faced, over the pain that you suffered, over the grief you had to endure, over the difficult days that you didn't, couldn't see your way clear. If you could see that right now, would you have welcomed it? Would you have walked into it? Or would you have refused it and retreated back to your comfort zone? You see, I don't know about you, but when I hear the story of Jesus, and what he did. And when you hear the way that the choir shared today, that in spite of what I might have done, in spite of what I might have become, God knew me before I came. And because he knew me before I came, He predestined certain things for me. What did he predestine? He predestined that my life would be worth something. My life would matter. If you are married today, your life mattered, not only to yourself, but to your spouse. And if you have children, your life matters, not only to your wife or your husband, but your children. If your children has children, you matter. Not because of your spouse, not because of your children, but because of your children's children. You see, this thing called life 
can throw some curveballs at us. But when it does, uh, the question is, what will you do? When you're faced with adversity, will you fight or will you flee? But you see, I want to leave you this morning with this. I said I like the underdog. I love stories about the underdog. But there's one thing about the underdog. That whenever they are faced with a battle, whenever they find themselves in a difficult situation, when it looks like there is no way out, no hope, no chance, they're reminded that the battle that they enter into is not theirs. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so today, I'm glad to be an underdog in the house of the Lord. Because you see, because of the underdog that I am, there is one who has already gone before me and fought the battle. And so I, I, I refuse to retreat today when I'm faced with a difficult situation. When life throws the curveballs at me, I refuse to retreat, brother. I, I refuse to step down. I refuse to take back. Because it's only by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, that, that through my underdog living and lifestyle, I became an overcomer. And you yourselves, I, I don't know your story, but one thing I do know, that as long as you're on God's side, the battle has already been won. The battle has already been won. You see, over 2,000 years ago, he was the stone that was rejected. But through his rejection, he became the, key, the chief cornerstone. How did he become the chief cornerstone? He was buried. You see, and, and when he was buried, Scripture tells us that upon this rock, that is the rock, the biggest rock in the edifice, it became the foundation. That became the chief cornerstone. And not only did it become the chief cornerstone, but after he was dead for three days, he rose from the grave. And that this is the beauty of this, because I haven't mentioned verse 22, or verse 24. You see, when it says the Lord has done it this very day, what is the it? The it was he was buried but he rose on the third day. That's why we can rejoice because see the battle that we feel we have to wage when we find ourselves in a difficult situation as an underdog, the battle has already been won. Why has it been won? Because when he died, he got up with all power in his hand and not only that he was rejected as a stone, laid as the chief cornerstone, but when he rose from the grave, he became the capstone. So you see, he is not only in the beginning the stone that the world rejected, not only the chief cornerstone that was laid in the grave, but he got out of the grave with all power in his hand. And when he got out of the grave, he became the capstone. That lets us know that he was there in the beginning and he will be there in the end. So no matter what you're going through, as long as you keep God on your side, he is the alpha, he is the omega, the beginning and the end. He is our chief cornerstone. What do I do with my challenge? I refuse to retreat because it is not me. It is the God that I serve. If you receive it, 
Give God a praise this morning. Give him a praise. I refuse to retreat. Amen. As you remain standing, as you remain standing. Some of us, even today, may be dealing with the underdog syndrome. But we've got a model in Jesus the Christ who not only lived for us, but he died for us. And I don't know your story, but I know his story. And I follow him. And because I follow him, I know what he has done in my life. And that's all I can give you is my testimony. When I look back over my life at what he has done. It's nothing shorter than a miracle. Standing here is a miracle. But I'm not remiss. I believe you standing where you are is a miracle. Whether you have accepted him or whether you're still contemplating, you're a miracle. He did something for each one of us. So this is not a long altar call. This is simply to ask. You know he's done something for you. You've been contemplating Struggling with coming. Struggling with accepting him. Just know, he loves the underdog. He loves you and I. This is a call of salvation. If you don't know him and the pardoning of your sins, I ask that you come right now. I need the congregation, those who are saved, those who have been through the underdog syndrome, if you would be praying, pray with me. This is a call of salvation. If you don't know him and you want to have a relationship with this one we refer to as Jesus or Christ, I would ask you would come right now. Come right now. If you have been struggling with things in your life and it has caused you to step away, You want to return not only to a right relationship, but a right place. Uh, this call is for restoration. He is a God that also restores. Uh, he can restore us and set us back in place to in our right place, our right relationship with him. Call to restoration is before us right now. And he is a God that doesn't have any homeless children. Uh, if you looking for or in need of a church home. This is the call for partnership. If you want to be partners with us here at First Christian, this call is for you. Lastly, baptism. If you've accepted him as your personal savior and you simply want to make an outward expression of your inward beliefs. Baptism 
is the call. If you want to be baptized, I ask that you come right now. Before we take the seat, and we have decision and commitment counselors here, if you simply want someone to pray with you this morning, if you want someone to pray with you this morning, pray that you grow stronger in your strength. I would ask you to come right now. Our decision and commitment councils give God a praise. Our decision and commitment councils will meet you. Uh, we'll take you in the back and then we'll pray with you. The call has been made. Salvation, restoration, partnership, and baptism. If you receive it, give God a praise. Give God a praise as we move into our communion and our giving of tithes and offerings.